Well, good morning, everybody, once again. I hope everybody had a good weekend this weekend. You know, I know we were kind of expecting some weather and it didn't happen, and I was thankful for that because last weekend I was planning to grill out, but it ended up me being sick. I wasn't able to grill out, so this past Friday night I was able to spend some time with my grill. And if you're new here, I just want to let you know one quick fact about me, and that is I love my grill, and I love to grill, and I actually have Harvest Point to thank for that because last year uh, when Emily and I moved to this area, y'all are a very generous group of people, and so y'all threw a party for us. And one of the things at the party that was given to us was a Visa gift card to buy something for our new home. So after we kind of got settled and looked around at the house, we said, you know what, we got a, a little patio out back. Let's get a grill. And so it's been fun getting into the grill world. And uh, Emily gave me her approval to get the grill. And now, um, this is a grill over here from, from the church. And it's about the same size as the grill I have. But my grill would have been a little hard to transport up here. And my grill is a Traeger smoker slash grill. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Were we gotten booing from like the big green egg people? Okay. Um, so I'd never had a nice grill before. But my, mine is about this size. And one of the things that I learned that comes with the grill is not only the recipes and everything, but also all of the accessories, right? The grill accessories. And so when I got my grill, you know, I had to get, what, what's one of the first things? You got to get a grill brush, right? So I got my grill brush, got that. And then, you know, you can't use your normal utensils, so I got my grill tongs and my little grill stuff. And then, if you're a grill master, you know what you need, right? You need a digital thermometer so that you can test the meats when you're smoking them to make sure you take them off at the right time. So I began getting all this kind of stuff. You got to get the rib rack. Anybody over here got a rib rack, you know, for the grill, for the ribs? So I got the rib rack, I, so I bought that. And then I got the vegetable rack, because you got to get the vegetable rack, so that way if you roast veggies on there... Then I ordered this little magnet thing. It sticks to the grill, and it gives you the temperature for all the different meats, right? So turkey, you take off at 250 to 300, or 165 is the USDA temperature. So I got all that kind of stuff. And, you know, at the beginning, it was kind of cool, and Emily was enjoying it and appreciating it because I was cooking a lot more around the house. She was liking the smoked turkey, and, you know, I did my first uh, pork butt. And it was kind of fun in the beginning. But then the Amazon boxes kept coming with the accessories, and she began asking questions. And so, you know, the boxes kept coming, and, uh, you know, I didn't want to use her aprons if I was, you know, working with the juices and everything, so I got my, my Traeger apron, so I got my own apron to do that. And then when I did my first Boston butt, I realized, like, you have to have some stuff if you're going to do a pork butt properly. So I got some of these uh, pork claws. Anybody have these, the claws? And Emily's like, can't you just use forks? And I'm like, no, that you can't use forks if you're a grill master. So I got these claws. And, you know, so you claw the meat. And then I was like, well, you can't handle a pork butt with your bare hands. It's so hot. So you have to get like the silicone glove, this heat proof. So I got that. And then I realized you have to clean the grill every once in a while, but you can't use like 409 and stuff. So I got the grill and surface cleaner. And this is actually organic and biodegradable. So I got that. And it just kept coming. Some of y'all use beer cans, but I, I, you know, I'm a preacher. I'm not supposed to have beer cans in my house. So you pour the beer in here or apple juice. <laughs> And you put the chicken on here, so it's a very ceramic stand. You can wash it. And all this stuff kept coming, and you're like, look, grill masters, raise your hand. You know what I'm talking about here, don't you, right? So I got my, my brisket spices. I got my Traeger. This is a coffee rub, coffee and black pepper. I got my sauce and then the silicone basing broth. It all kept coming, and I think this is what broke her, and it was, it was the grill light. So... 
You know, she was like, why can't you just use the light on the back porch? And I was like, because it's, it doesn't shine brightly on the meats and you have to get the color right. And that is kind of when she finally broke down and said to me, do you really need more? Or do you have enough? And as a husband, there's two answers to that question, right? One is, that's enough. The second answer is to order the packages and open them up before she gets home from work and to hide the stuff in the closet and just don't tell her because she doesn't go out to the grill that much. And I did that for a little while and I ordered a a few other things, but then I thought, you know what, that's not good in a marriage to be hiding your purchases and what you're getting from your wife. And and so then every time I wanted to get something like this new uh, thermometer probes that you put in and then it buzzes your phone when the meat is done so that way you don't have to be outside... (laughs) Then I was like, you know what? Maybe I don't need that right now. I can just add it to my Amazon wish list and get it at Christmas or something. So now I've been haunted by that question, do I really need more or do I have enough? And it's a question that's good to ask because Traeger, Amazon, everybody's always sending me stuff saying, look, you need more. You need more stuff. And deep down I have the desire for more stuff. And actually I got an email the other day from the Traeger Grill Company, and it said this. It said, happy anniversary. Congratulations, it's been a year since you took home your grill. By now, you've developed an unhealthy obsession with bacon-wrapped everything. So Grill Master, right? It's very encouraging when somebody calls you Grill Master. Grill Master, celebrate by treating your grill and yourself, yourself with something from our store. And now look, I didn't buy anything, okay? I didn't buy anything for my, our grill anniversary, I'm proud of myself. But the messages keep coming, right? You need more. And deep down inside, I kind of want more. But that's the world that we live in now where we're constantly bombarded from companies and from advertisers saying, you need more. You need more space on your phone. You need more pixels. You need more space in your house. You need more horsepower. You need a more modern wardrobe. You need to get rid of that old stuff and get some more updated furniture. You need more. Right? The new iPhone just came out. You thought it came out recently, but a new one is coming out. Because we need more. And as we get more stuff, you know what happens? We have to have more space for our stuff. And according to the National Home Builders Association, the average American home went from 1,660 square feet in 1973. Anybody remember those homes? 1,660 square feet in 1973 to now the average is nearly 2,700 square feet in 2016. And as we attain more stuff and as we get bigger homes, guess what else happens? More debt. More debt, right? Because a lot of times we don't have the money for this stuff, but we still want it. And in America today, the average student leaves college owing more than $37,000. The average family has over $16,000 in credit card debt. 2016, the average car loan was over $30,000. There's this desire for more inside of us, more money, more stuff, more safety, more security, more things. And it's being shouted at us from people all around us, and it comes from deep inside of us. And one of the reasons why we keep buying more and consuming more is because we feel like the next purchase is going to be enough. The next spice is going to be all we need and complete our collection. The next car will last us a long time. But what happens is all of those things 
are never enough. We're always desiring more and more. And so instead of receiving the contentment that we think we're going to get from those things, we actually experience discontent. We experience discontent. And then this desire for more, it also leads to stress and anxiety as we worry about our finances and our future and retirement. It leads to stress in marriages, with companies. It leads to this breakdown. And I don't think the problem is, is the stuff. I don't think the problem is the grill and, and this basket of stuff over here. I don't think the problem is, is your house that, that suits your, family need, your family's needs. I don't think the problem is, is your new iPhone. I don't think the problem is the stuff. I think the problem is what one preacher, Adam Hamilton, called restless heart syndrome. Restless heart syndrome. Now, you might have heard of restless leg syndrome. Have you heard of that? where your legs kind of twitch at different times and you can't always control them. Restless heart syndrome is similar, but it's for the heart. And the primary symptom of restless heart syndrome is discontent. And it's always wanting more. And we try to fill it in different ways and we try to solve it in different ways. And so we get a new house and then a couple months later we see a different floor plan and we think, oh man, I should have got that. We get our new car, and then we get tired of it quickly, and we're thinking, you know what, maybe I need something else. We finally get enough in retirement, but then an advisor or somebody starts saying, you know what, you need more. And we always are moving and desiring more, and we live with this constant state of discontentment. And if we're not careful, this restless heart syndrome, this constant desire for more will destroy us. And it will destroy us from the inside out. And so this morning, I want to talk with you about how to experience contentment in a world of discontentment. How to overcome this restless heart syndrome and experience peace and rest. And in this series, Live Generously, you might have seen yourself in this photo. You can't really see it too well up there. There's, there's our, our pictures in there. But in this series, we're going to be talking about these issues, issues surrounding our stuff, our finances and our faith, and looking at how they all come together so that we can live generously, so that we can live as people who reflect our generous God to the world. And so this morning, to, to look at how to experience contentment and enough in this world of, of more and better and bigger and newer, we're going to be looking at Paul. Paul in his life Paul, who wrote a great deal of the New Testament, who wrote many letters to many churches. Some of you are familiar with him. And, you know, when we look at Paul's writings, you might think, well, you know what? Paul's world is very different from the world we have now, right? I mean, he was living almost 2,000 years ago. But I think Paul's words speak to us because Paul is not writing from a place in the Roman Empire of wealth or privilege, or status. What we're going to read from the book of Philippians, a letter he wrote to the church in Philippi, what we're going to read today, he actually wrote from a place not of much privilege at all. It was actually a place of imprisonment. He wrote it from a jail cell when he had to rely on other people for anything that he needed. And Paul gives us some great wisdom in the fourth chapter of Philippians. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. 
And here's what, what Paul says right after he's thanked the church for encouraging him and for sending him a financial gift to help support him. He says this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, now content, it might be a word that you're not as familiar with because it's, it's an older word we don't use as much, but it's a state of being that's free from worry. It's free from restlessness. It's a state of being where, where you have rest, where you're experiencing peace. It's being content, being at peace with, with who you are where you are in life, and with what you have. And he says, look, I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret to being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or living in want. And here's the thing, we know he's a credible writer because he, here he is writing in prison, and he's somebody who knew. He knew what it was like to have resources, and he's known what it's like to not have resources. He knows what it's like to be hungry. He knows what it's like to be fed. And so he says, look, I know the secret. I know the secret to contentment. And in verse 13, a verse many of you are familiar with, he says this, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I can be content in any and every situation, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm thirsty, whether I'm rich, whether I'm full, whether I'm empty, whether I'm in prison, whether I'm homeless, whether I have a nice house, whether I have friends around me, whether I don't have friends around me. I can do all of this. I can experience contentment in the midst of all of this because of the one who gives me strength. He says, I can be content because of Jesus Christ. And now for many of you, you might be like me, right? I memorized this verse growing up, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, right? You memorize it when you're, when you're playing Christian sports leagues. Maybe you can imagine me as like a, a kid about five foot husky is what they used to call us, right? Husky on, on the church basketball court, and they would tell us this verse, you know what, Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things, and I thought, I'm going to score all these goals. I never, I scored one goal my, all my time in church basketball. But I used to hear this verse, and growing up, I thought, you know what? I can do all things, right? I can win the basketball championship. I can go be an NFL player. I can be rich. I can, I can be successful. I can pass the test. I can do all this through Christ who gives me strength. And what I've realized as I've studied this and looked at the context around what Paul was saying before this, after this, and where he was at the time, he's saying, look, this isn't as much about achievement. This isn't about achieving great things. This is about contentment. This is about being content in all things. And we can do all this. We can be content in all of this because of Jesus Christ who gives us strength. He's saying, look, whether you achieve your dreams or not, you can be content. Whether you win the big game or you miss the kick, you can be content. Whether your bank account is where you want it or whether you feel like you're just struggling at the edge of poverty, you can be content, he says. I know the secret to being content, and it is through Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. True contentment can only come through Jesus. True contentment can only come through Jesus. That's what Paul's saying, but so often what we do is we, we try to find contentment in all of these other places. We try to be content when we're, we're seeking out success and significance. And we think, okay, if I have just a little bit more stuff, then I'll be significant. If I have a car, then I'll be, I'll be significant. If I own my own home, then I'll be established and I'll be able to feel good about myself. 
but it's never enough. And we think the same thing about security, right? If we can feel secure in this world, then we'll be content. And so we want just a little bit more in our bank account, a little bit more in our emergency fund. And those are good things. Don't hear me saying they're not. They're good things, but so often we come to them and we expect more than they can offer. We expect this deep, eternal security. We come to all of this stuff and we think, if I had just enough stuff, if I had just enough money, if I had just enough education, if I had just enough children, if I had just enough of all of this stuff, then I would have peace in my life. But it's never enough. It's never enough because what we're doing is we're looking to the stuff that we have we're looking to money, to status, to our stuff, to significance. We're looking to all of these things. We're looking to them to give us something that they can never give. Because the only thing that can give us significance, security, and salvation, the only thing that can give us those things, is it's not a thing, it's a person. It's Jesus Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you've ever seen this Jim Carrey quote. But he said, he said this, he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. Doesn't he look so sad in that photo too? He looks so sad and skinny. That's what he said. And he doesn't give us the answer, right? He, I, don't, I don't know if he knows the answer. I don't know his full story. But he says, look, I, I wish this was true for everybody because he's experienced it. He knows what it's like to have plenty. And he's saying that's his reality. The secret to contentment is Jesus Christ. As St. Augustine said, giving us the answer, reflecting Paul, he said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. Because we were each created by God for a relationship with God. And God, through his son Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit, is the only one who can cure us of that restless heart syndrome, who can give us peace, who can give us contentment. Because it's through Jesus that we find that we're significant. I mean, Jesus was, was at the moment of creation. When you were created in, he deemed you significant. But not only that, through his death on the cross, he said, you are that significant that I would die for you, for me, for us. Through his death, he said, I lay down my life for you because I love you and because you are significant. It's through Jesus that we find true security, security that, that nothing else in this world can offer us because it's in Jesus' life and in his death we see that no matter what comes at us, bankruptcy, divorce, death, financial struggles, strain, all of that stuff, all of it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter ultimately because on the other side of death in Jesus Christ is resurrection. And when we're in Jesus Christ, we know that the worst thing in our life, while it is significant, it is never the last thing because Jesus is always doing the work of redemption and he promises to never leave nor forsake us. It's through Jesus and Jesus alone that we can experience salvation, forgiveness of our sins, peace with God. And we can experience life, true life, here and now, what the Bible and the Gospel of John calls life abundantly and life eternal in the future with God. Which is why Jesus says this in Luke chapter 12. He says, take care. 
Be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Because Jesus knows that true life, true significance, true security, true salvation, true contentment only comes through a relationship with him. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And he and only he can ever satisfy the deepest longings in our soul. And when you begin to understand in your head that that more stuff, more money, more security in this world, when you begin to understand that all of that doesn't ultimately matter, that, that Jesus is enough. And when you begin believing in your heart that he alone is the one who can give us true rest, it's then and only then that we'll be able to open up our hands and let go and live generously. It's only when we've caught a glimpse of our generous God who is so generous that he gave the life of his one and only son for you and for me It's when we begin to experience that and realize that in our hearts and have faith in Jesus Christ, it's then and only then that we can open up our hands and live generously and love generously to other people. So I want to simply ask you this morning that question that Emily asked me. Do you really need more? Or is what you have enough? And with that question, I want to give you two challenges. And the first challenge is this. And I'm, I'm taking this challenge on with you. First challenge is this. This week, whenever you're making a purchase with, with your credit card, your debit card, maybe, uh, oh man, this is the worst, the Amazon one-click shopping. Whenever, whenever you're making a purchase this week, I want to challenge you to be a conscious consumer, to think about what you buy before you buy it, and to ask yourself this question, do I really need this? And if not, why do I want this? It's simply a question meant to slow you down and to get you thinking about the purchases that you're making and the way you're using your money in this world. To ask, do I really need this? And if you do, go ahead, get it. But if you're not sure that you really need it, pause and say, why do I want this? And then just practice the 24-hour rule. I do this one all the time, especially online, right? You, you just pause You step back and you leave it in your shopping cart for 24 hours. If you're like me, you probably go to Kroger three times a week. You know what? You just leave it and you say, I'm going to come back later this week and I'll get it. And if within 24 hours, after 24 hours, you're feeling like, you know, okay, this purchase isn't coming from some kind of place of impulse or or wanting some kind of significance. If it's coming from an okay place, go ahead and buy it. I'm not saying, look, stop buying everything. But I'm saying, think about what you're purchasing, how you're consuming, and how you're spending. Because for a lot of us, our money is deeply tied with our emotions and with our heart. And so pause and ask that question, do I really need this? And if not, why do I want this? And I'm taking this challenge too. I'm, I'm going to Nashville later this week for a pastor's conference. And uh, this is a whole other sermon illustration. But Emily, I have so many books And she doesn't like my books either because I have so many books and I always want to buy more books. And so I'm taking this on. And this week at the conference, I'm going to try not to buy many books because I have plenty of books I need to read already. Amen? Amen from the front row here. So I'm going to try to to take this on, try to take this on myself personally. 
And the second challenge I want to give you and invite you to be a part of is a 90-day tithe challenge with our church. Over the next 90 days, we as a church are going to be going on a journey together. We're going to be taking on a challenge together to say to God, God, 100% of what we have is a gift from you. As James says, every good and perfect gift comes from above. We're going to, as a church, say, God, 100% comes from you. And in obedience to your command, and as an act of trust, we're going to say 90% is enough. And we're going to give 10% to the mission and to the ministry and the work of God's kingdom. And I know some of you, I mean, that's a big challenge, and I know that. I know it's a huge challenge because for a lot of people, right, 100% isn't enough. 125% is enough when we have all of this debt. And this is really, this challenge is really, it's an act of faith. It's a step of faith. It's a step of trust and obedience. But here's what I know. If you're willing to step out in faith and join our church in this challenge, that you will grow in your faith like never before. I know that you will experience contentment like never before. God will grow you from the inside out as you open up your hands to him and as you say, God, you're enough. And here is a tangible sign of that. And, and, and I, I'm taking that on. I'm a, I'm a tither here, so I'm not immune from this. I'm not stepping out from this. But I want to invite you to be a part of that challenge. In your seat back, you'll see a little white card that's, that's different. That's not usually there. There's a spot. You can grab that. It has for your name and for your email. And you can simply check a box, right? We're not asking you for some specific amount. You can check a box. I'm willing to take on this tithe challenge. Or if you're already tithing, then you can check that box. Hey, I'm already doing this, and we want to celebrate with you. And over the next 90 days as a church, we're going to be having opportunities to sign up for this in the next couple of weeks. Over the next 90 days, we're going to be sending out emails of encouragement. We're going to be sharing stories because I know that when we say to God, God, you are enough. Jesus Christ, you are enough. And as we surrender to him, as we live in obedience, as we trust him, that he is going to do great things in us and through us. And I know that because when we look at scripture, he's done it throughout history. In Acts chapter 4, when the early church was living as if Jesus was truly enough, here's what we find in verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And as they did this, what happened? With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. And I love reading the book of Acts in the early church as they lived in obedience, as they lived in faith, because what we see is we see power, we see miracles, we see signs, we see people were believing in the Lord daily, and we see that there were no more needy people among them. We see this beautiful image of the church and God providing for them. And I believe that God wants to do those and even greater things in us and through us in this next season of our life as a church. And as I was preparing this message this week, I spent some time in prayer praying, God, what would it look like tangibly here if we lived generously and said, Jesus, you are enough. Jesus, you're enough. We surrender to you. What if we reminded of ourselves, ourselves of that through, through daily time and prayer, through, through reading his word? Maybe even through fasting. What if we said, Jesus, you are enough. What would you want to do in us, God? 
And as I was praying, I had kind of three dreams. And one of the dreams is that we would be like the church in Acts chapter 4, that as we live generously, that there would be no needy people among us. Because I know you might not know everybody's story in this room, but everybody here has a story. And there are families in this room who, who are struggling. And we know that, we acknowledge that, and we assist in different ways that we can. But I have this dream of everybody in this room that we would be able to say there are no needy persons among us, that there is enough. The second dream is that we would just run across the finish line that we've set for ourselves this year of, of serving and blessing 10,000 people. That as we lived generously, that we would accomplish that and we would just sprint and we would, we would bless so many more people. And the third dream I had was kind of odd, but it involves seeds. And as I was praying, I was walking at the park, and it was a beautiful day, and I was reminded of this ministry that I heard about a while back. And this is a ministry that sends seeds around the world to people in places like sub-Saharan Africa who are malnourished and who don't have proper agricultural techniques and, and things for themselves. They send these seeds and they go and they call together a village meeting. They share the seeds. They share the good news of Jesus Christ. And they empower people to become farmers on their own land. They teach them agricultural techniques, irrigation techniques. And then the families are able to grow crops to feed their families so that they can become healthy and whole. And then they can have extra leftover to go and to sell it in the market. And I thought, that is an amazing ministry. And this organization, it partners with churches, and you can actually get the seeds in bulk, and then the church can help sort out the seeds and make the packages and then see where they're sent and kind of track the journey of where the seeds go. And as I was dreaming and praying about what it would look like to live generously, I thought, wow, God, what if we sent enough seeds for 100,000 pounds of fruits and vegetables for a community in Africa? How amazing would that be? What if we saw a harvest physically, and a harvest spiritually, because that's who we are, right? We're, we're harvest point. And as I was praying and thinking about this idea of a seed, God reminded me that everything in our lives is really like a seed. Our money, our talents, and our gifts and abilities, our, our homes, our resources, our relationships, all of them are like seeds. And if we'll just hand them over to God and we'll give God what little we have or what little we feel like we have, maybe it's not much, but if we'll give it to God, it's like a seed, God will do something beautiful and bountiful through it. And so wherever you are, whether you feel like you have plenty or whether you feel like you're struggling, whether you feel well-fed, whether you feel hungry, give it to God. Give your life to God. Give it to Jesus Christ because he is enough. And he alone can give you true contentment. Let's pray. God, we thank you for every good gift in our lives. We thank you for blessing us with the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And God, we pray that this week that you would help us to continue to be grateful for what we have to remember that we don't need most of what we want and that true contentment is found in Christ and Christ alone. So God, this morning as we offer you our voices, in just a moment as the ushers come forward and we offer you 
uh, these tithe challenge cards as we offer you our financial gifts, as some people have done that online. God, as we offer you our presence today, we pray that you would receive it, that you would take it into your hands, that you would multiply it, and that you would use it, use us for great good in your kingdom and in this world. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.